The reading today is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets of the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places." This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized to Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Good morning, Providence Church. Uh, Good to uh, have an opportunity to jump up here today and be a part of this next four-week series around core values. Uh, There is a lot of fun celebration built into a discussion, a, a season of contemplating this thing of core values that ultimately we get to see the expression of every time we gather together. And uh, looking forward to the next few minutes Uh, hopefully helpful for us. Three things that I would love to do as we walk through this, just for a bit of a snapshot of where this is headed. The first is we're going to take a little bit of time and, and really ask the question, what is a core value? And, and what do we do with these things called core values? The second thing then is we're going to dive into this passage out of Ephesians chapter three, to really look into the life of a man, his name was Paul, to look into the life of a man who held the gospel as a core value. And then we'll finish with just a few sort of practical thoughts around what I'm going to call behavioral outcomes of being a people who hold the gospel as core. In other words, if the gospel really is a core value for us, What will that look like in how we now choose to do life? This, as Gabe said earlier, the gospel is sort of the core of the core values. It's the starting point. It needs to be the center from which worship and community and mission, the other three values of Providence Church, ultimately will flow. But let me start with some thoughts around what a core value really is. And the truth is this, uh, it can get really tricky to try to put into intelligible language the idea of core values. 
and I'm not the best guy to be doing this. So, muddle with me into some thoughts around this thing. Some of us have played with core values before. Some of us maybe have nots. And if we haven't taken the time to wrestle through what a core value is and what we do with them, then core values quickly become banners that hang on a wall. They become nice words that get posted on a website. They, they are spoken in particular gatherings. But the truth is, we don't understand what they are. They do very little for us. And yet every one of us has them. So a thoughts. Some have defined core values in this way. Conceptual priorities that characterize everything we do. Told you we're going to muddle through this. Conceptual priorities that characterize everything we do. In other words, values are not things that we could put on a schedule. It's not an event we go to. They're not habits that we have. I really value drinking Coke. or It's not something we do. It's a conceptual priority that ultimately characterizes everything we do. In other words, our core values are those deep-seated things that we cherish that have a tendency to just sort of spill out of us. Shapes the way we talk. Shapes the language that we use, the very words that come out of our mouths. Our core values shape the way we spend our time. They, they shape how we interact with people, family and friends, the church, and even the world around us. Our core values, the deep-seated things that we cherish more than all else in life that ultimately spill out all the time. Now, a challenge with core values is we all have them. And whether you can articulate your core values or not, the world around you knows what they are. Like most of the time, give it about five minutes and a few good questions, and I'll know what you value. It will just spill out of you. Which one of the things I know is good for me, particularly as we go through a sermon series like the one we just entered, is to wrestle through the difference between what are aspired to core values and what are real in me. In other words, I can aspire to things like the gospel as a core value. I can say I want that to be true, but I have to start with the question, is that what's really in me? And folks know, people who hang out with me, they know what I really value. They know what we as a church really value. If you were to walk out of here right now and find yourself in any other church setting in this city, again, give it about five minutes and you will know what those folks value. Some of what you see might be beautiful. Like a church family getting to celebrate a whole group of people that just got baptized. Starts to say, oh, we value something special around here. 
I don't know about this, y'all are now part of the same family because there may be some crazy people in the family you got to deal with now, but you begin to see what people value. When you walk in and, and you feel like, man, I just walked into a show. Like, these folks value entertainments. Pretty evident, pretty quickly. Providence has core values. And again, a, a, a good piece of the next few weeks is having to wrestle through which ones are real and which ones are actually just aspired to. If you need a little picture of this, some of you have had the interesting journey of not being native to Nebraska, but moving to this place. My family and I spent about 15 years in Iowa and then moved to Omaha four years ago. It takes about five minutes into a game day to begin to understand core values in ways you never had an option before. In Iowa, they value football. But we have a few teams in Iowa And the truth is, I I really call Indiana home, so I don't care about Iowa football either. But you get to Nebraska and you realize there is sort of the core value. Here's how I knew it. My neighborhood is normally fairly active. People are out, somebody's mowing the grass, kids are playing, neighbors are just sitting in the driveway, hanging out with one another. And then comes a Saturday of the first game day we were in the city, and I'm just out doing my thing like we always do on Saturday. Mowing the grass, Andrew and I are playing football, we're running around, I'm working on the car. Like it's just, it's Saturday, it's what the neighborhood does. About five minutes in, I realize, huh, something's going on. Because I'm the only joker out here right now. And this place is dead. While I'm having that experience, my wife is at Target. And she literally goes up to another person in the store to ask if there is something wrong. And the new Nebraskans realize, oh, y'all value Husker football around this place. Now, I'm not dogging Husker football, but I do want you to keep that in mind as you try to contemplate what a core value really is. It's just sort of this deep-seated thing that, watch this, it spills out of you in everything you do. It shapes the way you spend your time, how you organize your schedule. It shapes the way you dress. Y'all put bumper stickers on your car. You never would have put a sticker on your car in your life. But you stick a bumper sticker on your, it just spills out of you. You ever notice this? Total strangers who would never talk to somebody else in the line at the store will talk about Husker football. So my task today is to help us think through the gospel as a core value. What if, what if the gospel was that deeply rooted within us 
that everything about us was characterized by it. That, that we might not talk about anything else in the line at Walmart with the people around us, but we'll talk about the gospel. It impacts where we go. It impacts what we do. It impacts what we say. It impacts the very words that we choose to use. I love that providence has it hanging over us as sort of the starting point of core values. I am personally, particularly as the guy who's supposed to be up here preaching on this, I am personally struck with the question, Kent, is it real in you? Or is it just a sound good value that I aspire to? And I want to invite you to wrestle through that over the next few minutes. What would it look like? What would it look like if we were a people who value the gospel at the core of our being? If you're not there already, go to Ephesians chapter 3. Gabe, great verses out of Colossians chapter 3. You may not have made the mistake, I may have made that. But here we are in Ephesians chapter 3. And what we're going to see, I believe, is the picture of a man who valued the gospel more deeply than he valued everything else. Starting in verse 1, Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... And then your version probably has something like a dash right there. Right? There's a pause of some kinds. So let me re-say this in sort of the way I read it. I think Paul is headed down this path of, here's what I want to say to you. And I think he has this moment where he just sort of gets wrapped up and says, all right, hang on a minute. Surely you have heard. In other words, whatever I'm about to tell you, push pause there. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Members together of one body, and sharers in the promise that is in Christ Jesus. Paul hits pause on whatever it is he felt was important to say, to come back to this and say, look, surely y'all have heard about what has been given to me. That by the grace of God, I have been granted this thing of being an administrator of the gospel. The mystery of God now made known is ours to share, he says. Now, this gets a little confusing. And forgive me if I've said some of this before. This has been something I've been percolating on for months. And I feel like, did I say this at Providence yet? 
But we don't often use the phrase administrate things like the gospel. We don't talk like that. So let me put it in a little different language. Think about the pharmacist. When you go to the pharmacy, you have some sort of disease, some sort of a sickness, and and that pharmacist has a whole room filled with options, right? You go to the pharmacy, and the pharmacist administers medication to you, or the nurse, the doctor at the hospital administers medication. It's like they've got a storehouse of what you need, And they're the one who stands in between what you need and your sickness. And they're able to say, hey, let me give this to you. Paul sees himself as an administer of the gospel. That he sort of carries this thing around in his back pocket and looks out at the world and and says, wherever I go, Whoever I come in contact with, whatever it is, whatever kind of situation I find myself in, he's always looking for ways to say, here's what you need. Y'all need to take some of this. And I think Paul is blown away by this privilege that he now has, where he realizes, look, for ages past, folks have wondered about this mystery. That has now been revealed. And he says the mystery is this. That through the gospel. A people who are not a part of the family of God. Are welcomed in. That through the gospel Gentiles. Folks who are not sons and daughters of God. Now have a way to be brought into the family. That we have opportunity to be considered the children of God. Members together of one body. And sharers in the promise that's in Christ Jesus. That in a nutshell is what the gospel is all about. That a guy like me whose life was filled with absolute sin. Who lived under the banner of death in Gavin's words in the video. Has now been granted access To not be just sort of distant cousin to the children of God. Not to be some sort of nice tribe which are on the B team child of God. But I have been given access to becoming a son. And I get to to share in the promises that are in Christ. And for the Apostle Paul, as the revelation of the mystery was given to him, he's just straight blown away. To the point that he says, hey, surely I've heard about this. I'm now an administer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Watch how he goes on, verse 7. He says, I became a servant of this gospel. Uh, When you start using language like that about something going on in your life, you probably found a core value. When you start saying, I am a servant to this thing, my life is strapped to that. Back to Husker football, right? There are some that when the game's about to start, it has full control. Like nothing gets in the way of that. When you start to realize, I serve this, 
you've probably found a core value. Again, I may not like what I find in that. But for Paul, he said, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people. One of my favorite phrases in all of scripture. I love when Paul starts talking about this because I can finally find myself in the verses. Although I am less than the least of all God's people. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles. Again, those not a part of the family of God. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Again, beautiful picture of the gospel. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Again, Conceptual priorities that characterize everything we do. For Paul, the gospel was one of those things. He's just blown away. I get to be a carrier of this thing that can take people like us and bring us into the family of God. And then he goes on into verse 10. And I think he gives us a little bit of a shift in the picture. His intent was that now, through the church, what he's about to do is is he's saying, I have been given this thing of administering the gospel to the world. But God's intent is that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. The multifaceted plan of God should now be made known to the world, not simply through the Apostle Paul, not simply through a person, but through the church. Ultimately, what I think Paul is saying as he uses words like manifold wisdom of God is he's looking back over the course of all of human history starting back in the Garden, Garden of Eden with the fall and sin entering to the, into the world, and then the judges and the kings and the prophets and all the stuff we read of in Scripture right up to the cross. Paul's now looking on the other side of the cross back throughout this entire story and saying God has been up to something all along. From the very beginning mess of Genesis, God has been unfolding this plan. In his manifold wisdom, his multifaceted wisdom, he has been working this thing out to the point that when Paul shows up, God comes to Paul through his spirit and makes the whole thing make sense. And Paul looks back and says, I now see what God has been up to. And then he says, church, his intent is that now through you, this whole thing would be made known. Now, Ephesians 3.10, when people talk through this verse or preach through this verse, they often stop where I stopped. If you notice, I cut it off right in the middle. I think the reason we do that is because we don't know what to do with part B of Ephesians 3.10. 
I don't know what to do with, with it either, but let me take a run at it. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. Look at what it says, says next. To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now I scratch my head on that because the way I want it to read is a little more on this earthly level of things. I want Paul to say his intent was that through the church the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the world around you. Thinking about it on a human level. He doesn't say that. He says that somehow it is to be through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is to be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now, I don't have a clue what that really means. It's why Jared and Andrew do what they do, and you can ask them later. But here's my thoughts. Somehow there are heavenly beings who have authority over things. Whether those are angelic, demonic, I'm not real sure who all's in that audience. But I literally picture a theater with these heavenly beings sitting in it. They've got popcorn in their hands and they're watching the sort of the film of history unfold. They saw creation before the fall. They watched sin enter the world. They watched this whole story of God Genesis 12, calling a particular people as his own. They watched the the judges and the kings and the prophets. They watched the cross. And the whole time they had to be sitting there like a suspense movie saying, what is going on? The chaos of the worlds. Now we've got the Son of God nailed to a tree. And these beings in the heavenly realm, I I see them looking back up to God saying, what are you doing? And then the mystery gets made known. And all of a sudden, these beings in the theater in the heavenly realm are throwing elbows in each other's chests. Hey, did you see that? That's it. That is what God has been up to. It's like all of a sudden the light bulb's supposed to go on for these creatures and they're supposed to realize what it was all about. The scary part of that though is that picture is somehow supposed to be seen through the church. That somehow there is a heavenly audience watching us. And when they look into providence, not a building, but a people. When they look into providence, they're supposed to see what God has been up to. They should be struck in such a way that the whole thing now makes sense. That Jesus, the Son of God, hanging on a tree, it makes sense and they're blown away his intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God would be made known in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord 
In other words, they should see the gospel in us. They should see the gospel in the way that we worship. That our worship ultimately is a response to what God has done. They should, they should sit there in awe. Do you see how those people respond to God? They, they should see the gospel in us as we interact with the world around us. As we talk to other, even total strangers. They should see the gospel and how we respond to the mess of the world around us. They should be throwing elbows all the time as they watch us. Because we are a people who hold at the core of our being this conceptual priority of the gospel that now characterizes everything we do. Now, it doesn't take long to do a survey of the church out there and realize what the heavenly audience has most likely seen. Right? Have we not, as the church, been battling over all kinds of foolishness for centuries? Dividing and splitting and arguing and fighting. The picture's everywhere in the church. My guess is the heavenly audience has sat there for a long, long time in a lot of places and said, man, this just does not seem to be working out so well for you, God. And I, don't, I don't get why you did the whole Jesus thing. It's a mess. And then they have to bump across a church that values the gospel. And all of a sudden, it's a whole different picture. I think Paul somehow saw that. He had a more theological way to put it all, but somehow Paul saw, saw all that, and he gets so wrapped up inside about this fact. I now get to be an administrator of this thing. I get to tote this thing around in my back pocket and just put it out there everywhere I go. He held the gospel as a core value. It's a family of churches that holds the gospel as a core value. And it goes out to rent a park to put a few thousand people in it for the sole purpose of exalting Jesus and celebrating those who commit their lives to him. You just don't see that picture. But again, in that, I personally, Kent Sovine, don't want to be just a person in that crowd who says this church out here values the core gospel. I want to be somebody who's able to sit in the midst of that and say, and yeah, I'm on the same page. That I am one who values this thing to the point that it characterizes everything that I do. So let me give you just a few thoughts on, on how that might personally get lived out in me. If the gospel is a core value in me. What should folks around me be tasting? What should you hear? What should you be experiencing? And I'm going to use a couple of words here that I think others on this very platform have probably used. Not original to me whatsoever, but for me, very helpful. If the gospel is a core value, then I will focus on demonstration and proclamation. I will focus on being an individual who, when it comes to behavior, I'm about demonstrating the gospel 
and I'm about proclaiming the gospel. And, and part of the reason I want to share just a few thoughts with us on this is because sometimes when the core value in me is not yet there, it's aspired to not yet there, I have to ask the question, how do I replace what is there with what I want to be there? In other words, if the gospel isn't resident in me yet, how do I get it there? And one of the ways is to begin to to sort of act like it's a true core gospel. In other words, begin to behave the way I would behave if it was resident. And what we'll find is over time, it just digs deeper and deeper and deeper into us. Just last Sunday, I was in my old church, had a chance to preach back where I used to be for years. Beautiful, challenging experience to go sort of back home. When we left that church four years ago, they did a farewell gathering for us out at this park. And there's a guy named Ryan Cronberg. Nobody else on the planet like this dude. He's actually now moved to Lincoln. He's at City Light Lincoln. Fun story. Anyway, he was a part of that church. We're at the farewell gathering, and, and Cronberg, a diehard Husker fan, walks into this gathering carrying a bright red flag with a white N on it. And at one point during this thing, he takes the microphone and he says, look, it's going to be really important that you begin to understand how to fly the flag and you got to know the fight song. And so literally, he gets another guy from Nebraska up there and the two of them sounded horrible. There's no Gabe in the room for this one. They start to sing the Nebraska fight song. And the theory was, Kent, if you'll fly the flag and you'll get to know a little bit of how to sing the fight song, maybe this thing of valuing Husker football will begin to sink down into the core of your being. I think there's some truth to that. That if we would start to sort of live like it, if we'd start to behave in the way that we would behave if it was core to us, we will find opportunity for it to begin to sink down. If we will start to demonstrate the gospel and proclaim the gospel, watch what it does in your own soul. Demonstration. I'm, I'm gonna, this is going to be quick. Probably, probably needs a little time because I'm about to rattle off a number of things, but just catch the picture of this. As I think about demonstration of the gospel, I think about God sending his son to us. Three things come to mind in what that looked like. First of all, it's pursuing people with love. You want to demonstrate the gospel. We want to be a church that demonstrates the gospel. We pursue. We don't sit back and wait for them to come to us. We pursue compelled by love. Is that not what the father did in coming to us? If you've never realized this, God is pursuing you. Not with a stick, but with love, unlike anything else in the world. The gospel is about pursuing people with love. Second thing is it's about responding to their mess with grace. In other words, when you actually catch up to somebody what you're going to find is they got some stuff going on in their lives. 
Responding with grace is demonstrating the gospel. I've pursued you out of love. I found you. Wow, you got some stuff going on in your life. I respond to that with grace. And then the third part about demonstrating the gospel is simply pointing them to life in Christ. I'll pursue you with love. Respond to your mess with grace. Point you to Jesus. That is demonstrating the gospel. People who hold the gospel as a core value that just flows naturally. It just, it just comes out. But then there comes a day where we have to proclaim it. The gospel being good news. It is a message and therefore it needs to be proclaimed. At some point, we're going to have to open our mouths and declare this to the people around us. Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Keep this in mind. There were no Jareds and Andrews in those days. There was no Kent Sovine in those days in terms of people that preach on a fairly regular basis. Don't, don't think preaching as that's what those people do. I think Jesus was talking to all of us. Go proclaim the gospel. Some might do it with a microphone every once in a while. That's not what the point is. It's all of us saying, I tote around this thing that throws the door open for people who are not a part of the family of God to now be brought in. Joint heirs together with sons and daughters. Members together of one body. Sharers together in the promise that's in Christ Jesus. Behavioral outcomes of holding the gospel as a core value will be demonstration and proclamation. If you say, man, it's not there yet, go start living like it. It's pretty crazy. I now pay attention to when Nebraska football's on. (laughs) And my son and I will sit and we'll watch the games. How did that happen? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, first and foremost, we have to say what an amazing gift. This thing that you have done for us to step into the mess of our brokenness and our sin and our alienation from God and to make a way for us to become sons and daughters. We are eternally grateful. And Jesus, we would love, we would love to be among those who now call ourselves servants of the gospel. Men and women who are, who are carriers of this thing such that wherever we go, it just spills out of us. And Lord, for a moment here, I want to pray with those who who see gospel hanging on a banner on the wall, who maybe say, that's nice, but if we're honest, we would have to acknowledge it's not in me yet. Lord, we would confess that to you. And we would ask that you would even do a supernatural work. 
to pull out of our soul whatever it is that might be there and replace it with the gospel. You did this with the Apostle Paul. You showed up to a man whose whose number one value was persecuting Christ followers and you turned him into the voice of the day. Would you do it again, Jesus? Would you do it for me? For those in this room who say, I want this at a deeper place, would you do it again? And I pray that you would then show us how do we demonstrate the gospel everywhere we go. May it just spill out of us. May people be around us for three minutes even and say, man, they really value this thing. And I pray you protect us then as a church family that together, we as Providence Church would, would be a church that holds at the center of all things the gospel. Protect us from getting distracted, Jesus. Protect us from getting selfish. And would you cause us to be a church that whenever the world bumps into us, they ultimately bump into the gospel. Lord, we celebrate this privilege. Who are we? Who am I? We are eternally grateful. We pray in your name. Amen.